I like to call this the assurance problem, not insurance problem. That's a different sermon altogether, the assurance problem. And I believe, to some extent, we all face this a little bit, and maybe just a little taste of it every now and then. Maybe I know I've got friends and even some family that this is an ongoing problem that they face. Assurance, it's that moment where when we're really being real and honest, that question pops up in our mind, pops up in our heart. Am I in? Am I really saved? Will God really let me in? When, if, if, if I were to take my last breath today, will I wake up in heaven or not? Did I make it? Will I make it? And I think these are real questions that people ask. I'm going to actually uh, tell you right now that I think that there's a better question to ask. And I believe that if we come to understand some of what that guy in the video is saying, we'll come to understand that that question, though it's one we wrestle with, though it's certainly normal to ask, and though even God himself has compassion for us asking that question, it's just a bad question. It's a question that when you come to understand what Christ did and what faith is, that it's a question that doesn't really make sense. So what I want us to do together as we kind of tackle the assurance problem together is to look at one little passage in the Bible that really meets it head on. It's in the book of 1 John in chapter 5. We're going to look at the first 15 verses of that passage together. And what John does, he is... He was an eyewitness to Jesus. I mean, he was close to Jesus. He was in the inner circle. He was one of the 12, but he was also in that inner circle of three and could have been the one closest to Jesus. So he walked with him. He talked with him. He ate with him. He did life with him. He saw the resurrected Jesus. He took care of Jesus' mom after he ascended in heaven. I mean, this, guy's, this guy saw a lot of stuff. And what he does in this passage that we're going to read is he kind of lays a case out, almost a legal case for Christ and also for confidence. Lays out uh, an argument for why you should be confident in salvation. So let's look at that together. It's in 1 John 5. I'll begin with verse, verse 1. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. And I just want to pause there because the way I operate a little bit, I, I already can see myself, especially in my younger years of walking with Christ, that makes me feel like, oh wait, there's the hoops to jump through. There's the stuff I got to do in order to be saved. I got I to gotta obey. I got to love. I got I to gotta jump through some hoops here. I, I, I'm going to pause here for a moment to tell you this. I didn't mention this earlier. Speaking of the assurance problem, I remember it was, I actually wrote the date down because I knew it was such a big deal and I was old enough to remember to write it down. I was 15 years old on June 17th, 1988 at a summer teenage Christian camp. I got saved. Within one week, not even a whole week later, I was at my home in Harlan County, and it hit me so hard that I broke out in sweats. I could not remember what I prayed when I asked Jesus to save me. 
I couldn't remember a single word, except I'm pretty sure I said amen at the end. Like, that's what I usually do. But I couldn't remember any of the words, which made me start to think, well, well, then what did I say? Did I say the right things? Did I actually pray the right prayer? So if, if I didn't, I, I don't remember what I said. So if I didn't, then, then I might not even be. This whole week, I probably wasn't really saved. And I just got this giant weight on my shoulders. And it was the first of several times in my life where I began to experience the assurance problem. And, and over time, what God has shown me is my confidence has been, well, in me. And something I've done, it's misplaced, if you will. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But that's why sometimes I read a verse like this. I'm like, oh, no, it says, we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. I feel like I got something I got to prove here. I got something I got to earn here. But what John is about to say helps us put that in a different light. He goes on in verse 3, loving God means keeping his commandments. Oh, there it is again. There it is again. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say his commandments are, are not burdensome? He keeps going. For every child of God defeats this evil world. That sounds like a hard thing to attain, right? And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood, and the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. Okay, that took a weird turn right there, right? All of a sudden, we're talking about water and blood and spirit. Let me pause for a moment to give you some context here. John is so wise. God, God inspired him to write these words down using something that everybody in the first century would understand. If there was some kind of testimony given, for instance, if someone thought this person was guilty of a crime, and if one person said, I saw him do it, and a second person said, I saw him do it too, and that by the testimony of two witnesses, that case would be probably easy to win. They, they would believe the testimony of two witnesses. With three, it would be a slam dunk. So it was kind of a well-known understanding with two th witnesses that, that would be a win. But with three, oh, it's a slam dunk. Okay, there's three people testifying here. John knew that this was how life worked in the first century when people were settling disputes, trying to figure out who was telling the truth and who wasn't. Two or three witnesses. So John says, I got two or three witnesses for you. If you're struggling with whether or not you actually believe that Jesus is the Son of God or not, we have his, the water, the baptism. Remember when he was baptized? And if we go back and read in the gospel accounts of his life and we see that moment where Jesus chose to be baptized by John the Baptist, there was this really moment, I'll be honest with you, I think of the Lion King and Mufasa with the deep James Earl Jones voice where the voice of God, the Father says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That's what I think of when I think of that quote. That was a big moment where God the Father, the water, the baptism testified to who Jesus was. Not only that, we have the cross, we have the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, his sacrifice, and that the grave couldn't hold him. He stepped out of that grave, and he appeared to so many people 
at one time, 500 people at once in his resurrected state. We have the water, we have the blood, and then the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit of God that fell upon those new believers at the day of Pentecost. But not only that, he comes and dwells within all those who believe. And he too speaks with our spirit and testifies that this Jesus is the Son of God. So there's a case that John lays out for who Jesus is. But he continues, as we read on, to also lay a case for why you can be confident in your salvation. Let's read on, if I can find out where I left off. Okay, so it says here in verse 7, this kind of explains what I was telling you. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God, and God has testified about His Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about His Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. And then in verse 13, he kind of explains why he's saying all this in the first place. He deals with the assurance problem head on. He says, in verse 13, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. He doesn't say so that you may hope you have it, so that you have a whim that it might be true. No, God inspired John to write this letter to help believers to become convinced and confident in the eternal life that God has given them. He says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Boy, that's, that's confidence. And that's what John was trying to help the believers in the first century to have is that confidence. That word confidence, an interesting word. When I think about being confident in something, I go hardcore five senses. Like, I'm truly confident if I can see it, touch it, uh, this is wood. And I know that. I have confidence that this is wood. But this word confident has a Latin origin. It means con with fido faith, with trust. Confidence is a trust thing. It's a faith thing. And this is the argument that, that, that John has laid out for all of us today to come to understand. And here's what I want you to know. Here is the answer to the assurance problem. Faith in Jesus Christ alone results in eternal life. Faith in Jesus Christ alone results in eternal life. This is the most important truth that you could ever hear, that you could ever know, that you could ever believe. I want to say it one more time. Faith in Jesus Christ alone results in eternal life. This is huge. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. You could have confidence in the fact that when you close your eyes on this side of eternity, that when you open them, that you can have eternal life and be in the presence of God forever. Why? How can you have that 
How can you have that confidence? Here's how you can have that confidence. You can have it because of who you have that confidence in. Is that confidence in you? In what hoop you've jumped through? In what box you've checked or boxes you've checked? In what you have done? Or is that confidence in Jesus and who he is and what he has done? Now, I'm a real simple guy, and as I was thinking about how, how can I even myself try to understand what faith really is? Because if faith is the answer, then what is that? And I think what I've come to understand, not only about myself, but about humanity in general, is we even take this idea of belief and taking a step of faith, and we make it a box to check, too. We make it something that, that we do for God also. The best way I know to describe it is by grabbing hold of a wheelbarrow here. So here's what I've envisioned in my mind. When I think about how we mess this up a little bit, I think of it as us thinking we bring something to God, we pull something up right in front of Him, and we bring it to Him, and in exchange of that, we get eternal life. Now, I don't want to take this for granted, but I hope you've heard loudly and clearly by the songs we've sung, by the videos we've watched, by the verses we just read, that certainly we can't put enough of our good behavior, our righteousness, our acts, deeds that are making us worthy enough to come and say, look, look, God, I did all of those things, therefore you can now give me eternal life. I don't want to take that for granted. I think hopefully you're sitting there saying, yeah, duh. We know that already. But I will tell you, in so many of the conversations I have, when I talk to people about this idea of eternal life and how you can be assured of it, so many people answer with, well, I've done this, and I've not done as many of these bad things, but I've done these good things. Well, well, that's what that is. That's saying, well, I don't have as much bad, and I have some good here, and I think that maybe if I just put that before God, that I'll, I might get eternal life. Do you see why that's a problem with assurance there? But here's what we also do. Even if even if we are really cool with understanding that, you know what, there's nothing I can do to earn or deserve the grace of God. There's absolutely nothing I can do to receive the free gift of eternal life and be deserving of it. What we still sometimes do is we even make that step of faith, us pushing the wheelbarrow up to God and saying, okay, God, so I'm going to come before you, and because I can acknowledge that I don't deserve it and that I can't earn it, I'm going to pray this prayer, and there's my prayer, and then now I check the box, and I'm saved, I hope. (laughs) We do that too. And I hope that, I know it's, for me, it's kind of hard to understand, but even that really isn't what God is looking for at all. What he is looking for, and this is what I'm going to actually do in only the third service of today, what I did not do the other two services. I'm going to take a big risk, okay? What he wants us to do <laughs> is get in the wheelbarrow. That's what he wants us to do. This takes faith. Me standing behind this wheelbarrow with the handles, that doesn't take trust. That doesn't take faith. He wants us to be here And he will say, I got you. That's all I ask for, is for you 
to just surrender and let me have your life. This is what it means to be saved. We don't bring anything to him. We don't push anything in front of him. We don't give him something that he gives us eternal life in exchange for it. We don't even bring our confessions to him and say, here's my confessions. Now can I have your eternal life? That's not how it works. That's religion. Jesus died on the cross because religion doesn't work. We come and we say, I actually trust in you with my very life. This is what faith looks like. It's letting go completely and letting him have you. And that's what changes everything. Here's the hardest part is the disembarkment, guys. Oh, good. Yeah, all right. So he, here's why am I saved is such a, a bad question. Am I saved means this is what it means to be saved. That's why it's a question we need to remove from our vocabulary because it means that must be a way to do it. Did I, did I bring it the right way? Did I put the right things in it? Did I do that right? we got to remove that completely from our hearts and minds and realize it's just faith in Jesus alone. Letting go and he's got you and that's it. That is it. That is it. I still to this day cannot remember the prayer I prayed. But I know, I know that I have eternal life. Not because of what I prayed and how I prayed it and where I prayed it. Because of him and what he did. He said on that cross, it is, you remember that word? It's finished. He completed the gospel. He completed the work of salvation. Now we just trust in it. So we need to remove the question, am I really saved out of our vocabulary? But here's a question you can put in place of it. Do I really believe? That's the question. Do I really believe? Have I gotten in the wheelbarrow? It's, it's a black and white. Did I get in or did I, not, did I not? Like, am I trusting in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation? That's the question. That's it. Do I really believe in him? That's it. That's it. And if you have, then I'm hoping you walk out of here today with this blessed assurance. You can walk out of here confident you know, even in my own heart, if I'm being honest with you, it, this is a preacher problem. Like, we're almost afraid to say stuff like that because we're afraid people are like, yes, I'm saved and I'm awesome. Look at me. I'm a saved man. I have eternal life and you must do life the way I do. I mean, we're almost afraid people are going to do that. So we try to let me water down that assurance so you don't get too prideful. That's, 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 that's horrible. I, I don't want to do that today. I want you to walk out of here confident but that confidence isn't in anything that we can do in this room today. Our confidence is in the person of Jesus Christ who paid it all for us. It's a blessed confidence. It's, a, it's the most unique confidence. It's a quiet confidence that sustains us. When the doubts come and the questions come, it snaps back in. It's like, oh, remember? <laughs> you, you, you didn't pay it all. He did. It's a beautiful thing. I think it's a thing that some people are missing when they go all their lives having maybe even gone to church, and they're trying, something ain't right, something's missing. What you're missing is that salvation isn't just this one moment where you check the box for God. Salvation is a life of staying in the wheelbarrow 
And he takes you on this journey, this adventure. He writes a story. He writes your story, and it's so good. It's not always easy. It's hard at times. But he's always there. And he keeps you in the palm of his hand forever and ever and ever and ever. Do you really believe in Jesus? Today, I want you to consider that. We talk about next steps here all the time. I'm just asking you to take the next step to believe. If you're sitting in here today and you've never put your trust in Jesus alone for your salvation, do it right now. Do it right now. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you may pray a prayer and say, Jesus, save me. I'm just I'm putting my faith in you and you alone. And you'll say all kinds of stuff. And then tomorrow you may not remember a thing you say. And that is okay. Because that prayer is not what saves you. Jesus is who saves you. He saves you. But he doesn't force that relationship on you. He asks you to take a step of faith. To have faith in him. Will you believe? And if you have been believing in Jesus alone, maybe you needed to hear this today because You've just been trying to push the wheelbarrow yourself. And he's saying, will you just get in? Trust me. I've got you. Trust me. I've got you. But does he have you? If not, get in the wheelbarrow. Today. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you do not want us to walk around Wondering if you might love us, you might accept us, you might keep us. Wondering if eternal life is even possible. Father, you offer us an opportunity to have confidence and a blessed assurance. And Lord, I pray today that there be just one person here who has yet to believe in you, who has never gotten in that wheelbarrow, that today's the day they do it, right here right now, oh God. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts as we sing one more song before we leave. Help us to take whatever next step you want us to take. We ask it in the name that is above all names, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, the name by which, only name by which we might be saved, the name of your son, Jesus. We all pray. Amen.